I'd um, set out in, um, in Clarion, in some pages seven and following of the magazine that I'd hoped in the coming weeks to look at some of the issues and, and questions that have been thrown up by all that we have been through as a people in the last couple of years. Um, sometimes I have been um, nauseated by um, superficial answers given by people just saying, oh, this is what God's doing, this is what's happening, and throwing a Bible text in there. Um, and I don't want to do that. But also, uh, I, I don't want simply to ignore the experience, which is a huge one. I can't remember anything like it in my, my lifetime. And so I want to just, uh, well, as I say, over the coming weeks to try and feel some way towards saying, what, what is going on? Where do we find ourselves when this is the kind of world that we're living in? One of the features of the last couple of years, of course, has been that we haven't seen as much of each other um, during lockdown, and then even coming out of lockdown, um, <clears throat> some have wanted to meet again, some are still reluctant to, and, and we understand that there's a difference. And also in that not meeting, we have not seen one another and sometimes maybe not heard what's been going on. And also, quite sadly, for um, a number of instances, we, we've conducted funerals where um, very few people have been allowed to go, and um, we've had funeral services that have not been here, which otherwise would have been here, and people would have wanted them here, and, and other kinds of events. So I, again, I don't want simply to just move on as if nothing took place over that time. So also in Clarion, I think it's in pages 10 and 11, go and have a good look, I want your pictures. I want lots of them. I want pictures of milestones. I don't want just, not just remembering those who have, who have gone from, from among us, although that's very important, but, but celebratory ones as well. In the last couple of years, folks have become grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, you've had significant birthdays, some of these ones with a zero at the end, or some, some milestone or other, some uh, anniversaries, as well as folks that we miss. We, we, want, we want to see what happened, the milestones of the last couple of years. So, get looking. Um, and send photographs to the office. If you can do that electronically, well and good, that would be lovely. If you can't, just hand them in, we'll scan them and give them back to you. I'm not quite sure yet how exactly we're going to put them all up, but I want a problem. I want a problem that is, where do I put them all? Okay. Some of you have been able to share some of the things on networks like Facebook. Um, and incidentally, I don't want any pictures of your dinners that you've had in the last two years, okay? <laughs> and make that absolutely clear. Um, <clears throat> but not everyone has that access to. But I think as a people, as a, as a family of God, as, as we tentatively seek to come out of this time, to come out of this period, still wondering what's happening and what's ahead, it would be good to honour and acknowledge what's been going on and what did go on and, and what... What was there? So, um, I hope you can help us do that. Um, they have been very extraordinary times. We 
didn't anticipate COVID-19 being so destructive, so widespread, so long-lasting. And now there is the shock of war in Europe. Food scarcity will bother us, but it will devastate many a poorer nation, mostly African ones. The specter of nuclear warfare again raised its head in a way that it hadn't for a long time. There is a massive refugee crisis. Brexit has left issues around the Northern Ireland protocols in particular, and stalemate is there, and perhaps raising fears of a return to some of the troubled times that were there in the 70s. Partygate issues rumble on, chaos at airports, huge price increases, and so on. Then there's the underlying issue of climate change. And, and these are tumultuous times, and in tumultuous times like this, one response as we get folks coming out again with the predictions about the end of the world, not least from certain sections of the church, this is a catastrophe that precedes Christ's return. Now, that there will be an end of time, and that it will be brought on by the return of Jesus, is not some obscure piece of teaching, not something that is believed by only those on the fringes of the Christian faith. It was part of the teaching of Jesus himself. And then as we, the verse with which we began the service this morning, as Jesus ascended, two angels spoke to his disciples and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And then in the Apostles' Creed that we affirm each week, an outline of the main stuff of the Christian faith, it says that on the third day, He, Jesus, rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. So the Bible story is not, repeat not, the Bible story is not that things here keep going, that those who die slip into an eternal peace right away and forevermore and away in a place far removed from what goes on here. Rather, what the Bible does say and says over and over again, such as in verses like Acts 1.11, and as in the Apostles' Creed, is that Jesus will come again. There will be a day of judgment and also a renewal of creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Now, it's clear from parts of the New Testament that some of the early Christians thought that that was going to happen in their lifetime. It didn't. And in the years since, there have been many others' predictions, many other suggestions about now is the time, now is Jesus coming back. And so far, all of them have been wrong. And then some Christians have preferred not to think about Jesus' return or have got out of the way of expecting it. Maybe they've even forgotten that it is promised and that we should be expecting it to come one day. Now, both of these things are wrong. Both of this, or oh, this must mean such and such, Jesus is coming back before a week on Friday because of all these signs. 
Both that and the forgetting the promises that he will return are both very wrong. COVID-19 brought more of the expectation to the surface. Oh, there's the signs. People saw in verses like the third verse of Revelation 12, predictions about the end. Revelation 12, 3 says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Ah, a dragon, you see, China. The virus is, is shaped like a crown. That's why they call it coronavirus. It's Latin for crown. So, yeah, dragon crowns, there you go. Here's the sign. And then they said, the mark of the beast, which is in Revelation 13, you can't buy and sell without the mark of the beast. Well, there you go. That's the vaccine certificates. <laughs> Except I remember a time when the vaccine, uh, sorry, when but these newfangled barcodes were supposed to be the mark of the beast. Can't buy and sell without them. Ah, Jesus must be coming. And he didn't. In the 1970s, a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsay was hugely popular. Within 20 years, it had sold more than 28 million copies. The New York Times said it was the best-selling non-fiction book of the 1970s. Although personally, I think it was a work of fiction. Because people love that kind of thing. The reading into it that this is what means, this is what happens. And in Hal Lindsay's book, he told us that the end of the world, the return of Jesus, was going to happen before the 31st of December, 1988. You're looking pretty good for people who were uh, removed in 1988. See, people love that kind of thing. Being able to put together these wee signs and messages to show some hidden meaning, something that points out this exclusive bit of information. And the people who do it, have you always noticed, have you noticed that they always, it's always their time in which they live that it's going to happen? You know, they don't put it all together and say it's going to happen in 200 years' time. I'll miss it. <laughs> it's always now. Now, the problem with folks doing that, that thing, is, that kind of stuff, is one, it's a distraction. Instead of getting on with the business of following Jesus and serving Jesus and sharing the good news, we end up wasting time and money in those kind of conjectures. They spent more than $11 million making a film out of Hal Lindsay's book. Orson Welles was the narrator. Some at the time did all kinds of numerological stuff and with computers to find out if the Antichrist was Jimmy Carter or Ron Reagan or Ted Kennedy. What a waste. It's a distraction. It also, secondly and worse, distorts the teaching of the Bible. As if Daniel or Ezekiel or John, who wrote the book of Revelation, were simply giving wee messages that have nothing to do with the people they are writing to and nothing to do with anyone who lives for the next 2,000 years, but suddenly is meant for us here and now. Bible prophecy is not a matter of a series of hidden messages and codes, but a message from God through the prophet sent to the people of the time, which will be instructive for future believers as well. 
But as well as it being a distraction, as well as it being a distortion of the teaching of the Bible, it just makes people look silly. When they reprinted Hal Lindsey's book, they had to change the bit about December 1988, and so it was a date in the 1990s. And then later editions, it was a date in the 2000s. How should people be expected to take seriously gospel claims when they sit alongside that kind of nonsense? Lindsay went to that text I mentioned in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12 and the, the dragon and its, and its heads. And, then it, and it was, what, ten heads? Well, he said, that's obviously, not China, that's obviously the European economic community. Obviously. And when the European economic community grows to be ten nations, then you know that's it. Well, the European Union as it now is, is a bit more than ten nations, and still Jesus hasn't returned. Now, Jesus said that his return would be sudden, unexpected, like a thief coming in the night. Paul mentions that again a couple of times in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, I ask you, does a burglar phone you to ask if you're going to be, when you're going to be away so that they can come down, around and rob the house? Does a burglar contact you and say, leave out some uh, biscuits and, and milk for me, would you? Because I'm coming to rob the house a week on Tuesday. No, uh, of the essence of the, of the theft is that element of unknown, that element of surprise. And Jesus said his return would be like that. And so it's a mistake to think well, because this has happened or because that has happened, that must mean the biggest reason we have for believing that Jesus will return is not some signs political or some signs um, social or whatever. It's simply that Jesus promised he would. So if it's a mistake, and it is, to look at all these kind of details as if we can somehow map out a timetable, the opposite mistake is that we forget what Jesus has said about his return. We forget that he will return, that there's to be a day of judgment, and there will be a new earth and a new heaven as God's kingdom is finally established. One of the worrying things, um, I think, about what people are saying as we come out of pandemic or as we've gone through it is we need to get back to normal. As if normal always was and normal always will be. Suggests that normal is the best that we can hope for. Or else it suggests we, we want to get back to the notion that we're in charge of everything, that we can control everything, that we will continue to make progress, and as we make more discoveries and science advances, so we are more and more in charge. Now, I think that creates the same problems as the other mistake. Again, it's a distraction. It says the most, it's something like we want to get back to normal because that's what really matters. Consumerism and materialism have got such a grip on people, Christians as well, that we fall for the lie that the most important things are what we possess, what we can afford to do, and so on. Making ourselves comfortable and so on becomes the ultimate. 
Now, that might well be the case if there is no judgment day, no return of Jesus. But that's a big if, because he said there would be. And as well as distracting, again, it distorts. For salvation is sidelined. We forget that God's work of salvation has been going on since the, the fall and that that is not yet complete. And so we just leave Jesus as someone who helps us get by here and now rather than being a saviour who is coming again to complete his salvation. And the resurrection is reduced to some kind of demonstration that there is something to come later on. Rather, what the New Testament says, it's the first fruits of the new creation announcing the reality that the kingdom of God is to start now. And then maybe if it doesn't make us look silly in the way that these predictors have made um, predictions that have been wrong, it still nevertheless shows up a huge gulf between what the gospel says and how we live. So, if it should not be either of those things, if it should not be that we can map out some kind of timetable with wee clues given in Scripture so that we know at some date and time that Jesus is coming, if it's not, and it's certainly not, that we should ignore or forget the promises about Christ coming again or put them aside just because it's taken longer than some folks think, what should it be? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the passage that we read, as Peter stood up to the crowd, he referred to this prophet, prophecy of Joel, talking about this new era and God's, king, God's plan of salvation, and he said, in the last days, verse 17. What Peter was saying to the crowd is, you, you've seen this phenomenon of the, the spirit landing on the, on the people and people speaking in, in different languages, What's it all about? Well, I'm telling you, it's the Spirit has come just as God had promised, just as Jesus had promised. Jesus had brought in the last days of the age of the Messiah, and the final indication that he had done that was the outpouring of the Spirit on his people. God was now available to all people, verse 17 of Acts 2. Irrespective of sex, age, rank, the Spirit was for everyone. Up until that point, God had acted by his Spirit among people, but in ones and twos, and for a time, not for, every, not for all time. Now, in the last days, the Spirit is given to all of God's people for all time, and God's salvation, verse 21, was for all who call on his name. It was Jesus who had brought that into being. Exalted to the right hand of God, verse 33 of chapter 2. He had received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That, says Peter, is the last days. The last days is not a period of time that's a week long or a month long or a year long or a decade long or however long. God has not told us. The last days is the final part of God's salvation before Christ returns. The work of the Savior is complete. The Holy Spirit is given. Now is the day of salvation. And we are to live that life of the, the, the people of God, the kingdom of God, and the here and now. For Jesus' resurrection was declaring that the first fruits are coming and to be realized in everyday life. 
And so as we live in the here and now, we need to recognize that God is working His purposes out, and it doesn't end here. The fulfilling of prophecy, the culmination of the preparation and planning of the coming of Jesus of, Messiah, of the Messiah gives a lot of credibility to the claim that more is to come. Jesus came when the time is right. The way was prepared. Even the details, for example, of the provision of the, the donkey to ride into Jerusalem or the, 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 the upper room where Jesus celebrated the supper with his disciples, it was being prepared and planned for Jesus to die and to rise and then to send his Spirit upon his people. And amongst other things, that means that we still have to live with the tension that this is not yet God's perfect kingdom. Still, sin is around. Still, things go wrong. Still, people suffer. What's God doing about it? He's giving us this time, this era of the Spirit, but not yet the fullness of His kingdom, so that there might be time and opportunity for people to repent, to be ready for the new heaven and earth. We may struggle and we may suffer. It does not mean that God has given up. Look at the path Jesus trod, as Peter told his hearers. This man was handed over to you, verse 23, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. It was a way that involved injustice. It was a way through suffering, according to God's plan and foreknowledge, he says. So just as we go through those kind of times, just as we go through times when things go wrong, it does not mean that God has forgotten, that God has given up, or that God has lost his power. So in these very difficult times that we have been going through and still are with us, Christians are called to see the bigger picture. Recent events do not mean that the return of Jesus is very soon. However, he may come soon. That's the thing about coming like a thief in the night. It could be before Tuesday. Thieves don't tell you when they're coming. And so we have to live with that, that realization and that expectation that all our plans are provisional. Isn't that something that the pandemic should have been teaching us? We had friends visiting that... Um, are over for a short time from Canada, and uh, so the plan was arranged that we were to um, entertain them, give them, give them dinner last night. Um, had to contact them during the week and saying, well, I'm not very sure, Karen's got COVID, so it might be off. Um, so I make other arrangements, I agree to meet them for lunch. Um, and then Stephen phones yesterday morning and says, he's got COVID too. Now, you, and people have missed a lot more than that. I'm not saying that's the most important thing that people have missed far from. I'm just saying that our plans are provisional, aren't they? Isn't that one of the things that we should have been learning? 
that we're not in charge of everything, that we can make plans, but only up to a point. And that's true, and, and it should be saying to the church that the thing that we will be most secure of in life is the promises of God and the promises that Christ indeed will come again. And we are to live in the, in the, in, as though that were the, uh, the essential thing and everything else is maybe, maybe not. The trouble in the church today is we've, we've so often turned that around. Our plans are definite. Jesus may or may not return. That's not what the gospel says. And just as a bridge is not a bridge if it is not completed and reaches over to both sides of the thing that it's crossing, so in the same way, if Christ does not come again, the whole thing falls to pieces. The whole story from the God rescuing us from the fall and working through the people of Israel and, and, and preparing the way for the Messiah and the Messiah coming and the crucifixion and the resurrection, all of that falls to because the, the story's not completed. The bridge doesn't reach the other side if Christ does not come back because this is not the full thing of the kingdom of God. This is not the perfect new heavens and new earth that God is, has in store for his people. So we have to face honestly and realistically the challenges of the pandemic and so on. And it means too that our goal, our hope, is not to simply find our way and muddle through so that we can settle down to normal, to a comfortable way of being. That, that attitude is only possible in the rich Western world, isn't it? I want to get back to normal. We should get back to normal. We can have this, have that, go on holidays, do this, do that, the next thing. Do you think people in South Sudan are just thinking, I wish we could get back to normal, you know, where, where there's drought, where there's famine, where there's <laughs> gangs going around killing people and everything else? Do you think people in, in Yemen are saying that? Do you think people in other parts of the world are saying, oh, you want to be just great if we get through this and back to normal. That is just such a stuck-up, rich person's view of things. The pandemic should be a reminder to the church that life here is not entirely secure, that this is not our ultimate. It is, yes, the last days but it is not yet the fullness of God's kingdom. It's not necessary for us to know if the return of Jesus is to be in July or next year or another millennium away. So much you trust that he is coming because he promised. And in the meantime, we live in the last days with the Spirit of God given to us to, to lead and to guide it's the promise, verse 38, of reading, you will receive the gift of the Spirit. So let us live with the Spirit of God in the way that Christ has called us to. Now let's put the events that have been going on in that wider context. But let it challenge us too. But where our hope 
and where our security has been placed and where it ought to be placed. Let us pray.